Hope. It's what military families need today. Join Hope for the Warriors once a month as we talk with America's heroes and those that support them. Through open conversations and honest dialogue, learn more about the topics that are most impacting the military community. Welcome to the Hope for the Warriors podcast. I'm Kate Dudley, a military spouse and your host. Welcome to this first ever episode of the Hope for the Warriors podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. You might be asking yourself, what is Hope for the Warriors? Why should I listen? Whether you're currently serving a veteran, a military spouse, or a civilian, each of our monthly episodes will have something for you. It's our hope that you leave inspired and wanting to make a difference in your community. In this episode, we're going to dive into what hope is and why it's what our military families need right now. To do that, I will be interviewing Hope for the Warriors co-founder and CEO, Robin Kelleher. And Robin joins me now. Thank you so much for being here for this first episode of our Hope for the Warriors podcast. Thanks, Kate. It's so nice to be able to sit and talk about what we do. And, you know, we we love Hope for the Warriors. We love the people we work with and we love, most importantly, the people we work for. So to be able to talk about it is such an absolute pleasure. Well, we're really happy to have you here. And it just seemed fitting to have you on this first episode. Can you give us a little bit of history about how Hope for the Warriors started? In 2002, our family moved to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and my husband started that crazy journey of the war in Iraq. And in 2004, unfortunately, his best friend was very severely wounded. And we experienced alongside their family, not obviously to the degree that the family was experiencing it, but really the impact that the war and and injury and death was having on the families, the communities. It was a really interesting learning experience, not something I was prepared for. It saw coming, you know, it just was um, there you are in the moment and you got to figure it out. And that's really how it, life began to be as a military family at that time was we didn't, we didn't know what we didn't know, but we didn't know necessarily what was going to come next either. And so you have to figure it out in the moment. I felt really badly for my my friend's wife because she was spending so much time trying to figure out how their family was going to, what was going to come next for their family. He was going to medically retire out and she would most likely need to go back to work full time and take care of the family. And so it was, where were the resources coming from? What did that transition out look like? How did the VA system work? It was so much work for the for the spouses at that time to try to figure things out. And so in an effort to just get her out of the house and, and do something different and, and really start to try to reconnect with our community, we put on a, a big fundraising event and it was a run. We were both runners. We loved runs. And we also felt like they really applied to the military culture of competition and fitness and, and healthy lifestyle. And so we brought together about 2000 people. It was a pretty significant event for that community, which also came, showed me that 
the community really needed it. They needed that connection to each other. They needed to be able to be heard, you know, as a as a military community. And one of the most important parts of it was that it was also set up around the, the wounded Marines and sailors who were stationed at Camp Lejeune, who were in that recovery period. And so we really rallied around that group at Wounded Warrior Battalion East and the event, our first mile is what it was called. And, you know, it was funny because a lot of people used to say, oh, it's a fun run. Like, no, there's, there's nothing fun about that first mile. Like this is their first time back in into PTing and setting a, a pretty significant goal for themselves to do a, a mile and get back out there. It's not always fun, right? Sometimes that's the hardest mile of, it, of them all. And that's been a really significant part of our run series that we've kept going now for the last 16 years. That first mile is, is a really special part of that event. What we found from bringing all those people together for that very special day, which by the way, it poured down rain, and no one moved, no one flinched, no one left. They were all there in honor of, you know, their brothers and sisters in arms. And, and we even had a, a run that same day in Iraq that was held earlier that morning and broadcasted back to the group that was at Lejeune. So it was a really special day. From that, we realized there was so much more that we could do and so much more that was needed because once you start talking about things like that and you have an event like that, people come out of the woodwork. Like we really need help. And so it was a really great opportunity for us to say, let's, what do you need? And how can we be a part of that solution? And so we founded the organization. And I think the God wink moment for me was when we got the paperwork back from the state of North Carolina. Uh, and our incorporation date was 9-11-2006. And so it makes you realize you're doing the right thing, right? Because certainly... I had to question that. How in the world and why, while my husband's deployed, I just had my second child, would I start a business? You know, that was a, a really hard decision for to make and making that commitment while I had these other pretty significant commitments. But that really kind of cemented the deal for me. And I think what's been great for my family is that they've grown up at Hope. My Both of my kids were babies when we started. They have been volunteers. They've, you know, attended events. They've watched mom travel and work, and they've met all kinds of people with unbelievable injuries, and they understand it, and they're comfortable with it, and they appreciate and respect what that means. And so I love that for them, where, you know, for a while, there was a lot of guilt of taking time away from my family. We actually gave them a lovely gift of what it means to give back. And they, they're both, you know, great, great kids and, and it's embedded in them. It's part of their DNA. So interesting part of that story. We started the organization with all military spouses, everyone volunteering and just putting in as much time and energy as they possibly could. Again, it was the run that really kind of got us going. But then we realized that a lot of the military spouses did not have the support they needed. So that was one of the first things we did was we put together a military spouse um, support group, caregivers primarily, and helped bring attention to the struggles that the families were having as they were navigating. And again, we're talking about severely wounded at that time, as they were navigating that journey. It was important work to do and it was appreciated by the military because they needed as much information as they possibly could to, to support families. 
and create good programming and resources. It happened very quickly. It, there was a lot going on. There was a, a war, obviously, that had to be prioritized, but the families really needed us back at home. And so as we grew the organization across the country, we ended up landing in places that we really needed to be. So all of our PCS moves really became kind of a, a strategic business plan. I kind of chuckle about that because it happened so easily and naturally. One of our first volunteers moved to Camp Pendleton, California, which is exactly where we needed to be. And uh, and then our next one, her husband got recruiting duty in New York City. And so what a great place for us to start building a network and of not only um, veterans, but supporters. Um, New York City is probably one of the most supportive and loving communities I've ever experienced. And, you know, didn't really think I would at first. I was kind of scared of it, but <laughs> came to find that the passion and compassion in New York far exceeded anything I had ever expected. So we built out, you know, hope communities around the country in the places that we really needed to be. And, and that's the history. You know, we really, we focused on the family we felt like the family unit was where recovery and um, hope really lives and thrives. We realized that military kids needed attention, that the neighbors and parents needed attention. Or if we didn't put that tension in those, those spaces, that we weren't going to see the outcome that we were hoping for for our service members and their veterans. So it, everyone needed that kind of attention. And that's really, I think, what hope is all about is that family unit um, and recognizing the culture and the unique challenges that military families have. You touched on this a little bit earlier during that run back in 2004, the needs that people were expressing to you. What was life like during that time? What were the needs that they were telling you? A lot of it was financial resources. Um, that was a big one because you just don't think about how an injury or even just multiple deployments just over and over and over again, how that affects the family unit, both financially and and morally, psychologically, mentally. And so financial needs were certainly easiest to talk about. But once you start opening up that can of worms, you know, you get to hear all the other things that are taking place. And I think for us, reunions, I'll, I'll speak personally, reunions became very hard because you see those lovely pictures of everyone coming together. You know, somebody steps off a bus and the family comes together and they're then the embrace is so impactful. It's so meaningful. It's the, it's the days afterwards that are so hard because for our service members coming home, they've experienced something that one, we families don't we don't know. We didn't, we didn't have those same experiences. We had our own, which they were not, you know, a part of. And so you bringing together people that have had a, either trauma or fear or have really connected with other people in meaningful ways. And now you're bringing them back together again. And sometimes that can be really hard. So those reunions were always so wonderful in the moment. And then the hard work really began. So Sometimes that could be a little scary. How is that going to happen? How is that going to work? And are we going to, are we going to be okay? And so you're kind of always living through that fear of, are we going to be okay? I remember thinking when I left and went home for a visit that the world seems so much lighter as 
I drove away from Camp Lejeune and it made me realize that we were living with this kind of dark cloud over us all the time, like this level of stress and of the unknown fear that are we going to be okay? Peace all the time, like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, year after year after year. And it was, it was eye opening to me to go home back to visit and and feel a little bit lighter and feel like, wow. But what it also made me realize is that there is a, there was in particular then a big divide between the general public's life and the military life. And, you know, you understood that people wouldn't necessarily know what we were experiencing, but it was also kind of depressing to realize that here was this life we were living around war and the rest of the country was living their lives around other things. That was a tough time to, it made me not want to leave the community that I was that I was in because we were all experiencing the same things. But it also made me kind of want to run away from it too and and have a little bit less of that stress for even just a moment. But you know, again, we we did it day to day and you really have to sit back and say one day at a time. I was listening to someone talking about military families and the comment was about how they were thriving and, and they were okay and everyone was doing great. And I thought, well, what's wrong with us? Because we're not. (laughs) And I I do understand that, you know, you don't want to give the perception that people are falling apart, but you also need to recognize that people need to be okay, like that they're not okay. Um, and so we used to talk to each other about that. Like, it's okay to not be okay. We're going to get through this. We're tough. We're strong. We're committed and devoted to what um, our families have, you know, what the commitment our families have made. But it's okay to not be okay. You know, and I think that's a really good message for, and we we were sharing that together as military families. It's what we tried to message to their service members and veterans now too, that, you know, they're kind of in that same position of why am I not okay? Why am I, you know, feeling these ways? Why am I experiencing these, these feelings? Um, And it's really important to be able to share that message again, that it's okay to not be okay, because we'll get there. There's hope, right? Always hope. That's a pretty powerful message. Hope is not, it's a platform from, you know, which you launch. And that doesn't mean that just because you're not okay today, that tomorrow's not a better place. Well, that's a great segue into, we've heard you say this is a for-purpose organization. What does that mean? For me, an organization that does the kind of work that Hope does, it's all about purpose. So we are for purpose and profit is not a word that we use in, in our, you know, in, in the, with the work that we do. But profit is about purpose too. So why not exchange the two words? <laughs> I just like, it sounds better. It, 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 it's more relevant to who we are. When you look at the needs back in 2004 to now, how have they changed? When an injury occurs, someone comes home and then, then they are, you know, go through a process of recovery. So it's all sort of a, a linear journey and typically starting at a military treatment facility. 
So you, you see that a lot of the resources, a lot of the attention was focused at the military treatment facilities to the degree where it almost became overwhelming. So we did a lot of bedside support there, whether it was just going in and visiting, whether it was holding the hands of, of family members, assuring them that things were going to be okay, walking them through resources that they were available to them, or just listening. One night at Bethesda, we actually went shopping because the family had come this quickly as they you know, were told to come from, I think they were in Louisiana and it was 90 degrees there and they showed up at Bethesda and it was 20 degrees and they didn't even have winter clothes. So, you know, the, we just sat and chatted with them. And one thing that they asked about was if there was any place that they could go buy a coat. So we, you know, you walk over to the exchange and you do shopping with them and they open up and you really get to a chance to help them calm down, relax, take a deep breath and realize that one day at a time, right? And it's okay to not be okay. That was really what it was like in 2004 was that kind of a journey. At the On the other side of that though, you've got multiple deployment, deployment cycles. So everyone's going back and coming home and then going back and coming home and going back and coming home. There's not a lot of time to process experiences. And so what we're seeing now really is that time that has it has taken to process those experiences and what that how's that sort of settled in. And so a lot more mental health issues than really physical injury focus. We have, you know, the those that were very severely injured are going to need help for the rest of their lives. It's not, it's not a one and done. It's not over. There's, I don't know statistically if how many people actually had one injury. I don't know that that was even a thing. So there's, there's lifelong care that's going to be required. But I think right now what we're seeing is, is that time that what's taken to process those experiences and how, again, how they've manifested into people's lives. I've only been with this organization for a couple of months. And I've been so honored to speak to so many people that have been helped by hope. And there's been a couple that have told me that if it weren't for hope, they wouldn't be here today. When I say something like that, what does that mean to you? Uh, You know, Kate, that's where, again, I go back to, we were meant to be here. You know, you, you always question, are you doing the right thing? It's those conversations that always make us realize that we are doing the right thing and that, you know, everything we do, some days you do stuff that's just so administrative or so you don't feel like you're really touching anybody's lives. And you, but you realize that the cumulative effect of that is being able to hire you who then goes and listens to somebody's story and somebody being able to tell their story and share that um, and be that honest and brave, you know that they're going to be okay because it, it takes a lot to get to that place of being able to share that kind of a story. And whether it's hope the organization, hope the people, hope the concept, we are changing lives. We're we're saving lives. And that's a calling. It's not a, a, you know, it's not something you do for money. It's not something you do for fame and fortune. It's something that you do because 
there's something inside that's driving you to be a part of that. You just said it's a calling. At what point in your life did you realize this was a life mission for you? I'm going to be super honest about kind of struggling at the beginning with this because I felt like, you know, I had two little children and we had no idea what was going to come next. We had already been through two deployments and lost, you know, and, and had major injuries occurring in our family. And so there's a lot of fear that, hey, this is real. The moment that I met John Vigiano, that was in, I think, in June of 2006. So after the run, um, and we had made the plans to start the organization and start a business and commit to, you know, having a career, basically. Uh, and again, I was still kind of struggling with that. And when I met John Vigiano in Raleigh, North Carolina, and heard John's story, uh, and John lost both of his sons on 9-11, one was a fire captain, fireman, and one was a police officer. And John was a, a captain in the um, FDNY and former Marine. Um, and he shared his story and his passion. And I knew that we were doing the right thing. And I knew that I could commit to that. And I knew that I was also, a, the commitment that I'd made to my husband to take care of families and to you know, be his, his person at home that was taking care of his, the families, that was a commitment that I made to him as well. And so I, I still feel very strongly about that. This organization, you've started from the ground up 16 years now. Where do you see this going? Uh, you know, just put your time glasses on 20 years down the road. What, what do you hope to see? What do you hope to accomplish? Uh, absolutely, that we would continue um, advancing the understanding of the unique needs of military families, and in particular, the mental health needs. I think being a voice of of the importance of well-being and resources for that uh, is something that's part of our, our strategic plan. We want to continue supporting whether active duty or military families because that's not going to go away. And being able to, again, continue to adjust to the needs. So I feel like we've done a fantastic job from start to this day forward of really assessing what the actual needs are and adjusting within the organization. So there's, you know, we've got these different paths that we've taken throughout the years um, based on the actual needs. And the reality is that we're, you know, we're sitting every day on, on the edge of perhaps the next war. And so being a strong and ready to go organization for whatever comes next is really important because we don't want to have to start over again. I want to be able to be right there at the helm when when things go bad again. And the families really don't, you know, they we don't want to have time where people have to start all over and recreate resources that have been fine-tuned and matured over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. And you've seen so many different people over the years, you've helped so many families, hope has helped so many individuals. Is there a, a certain person or family that comes to your mind that specifically from start to finish, you saw a, a significant change that changed their lives? And I know that's putting you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> no, <that's okay. laughs> no pressure. 
the only spot part of that is which one, right? Which one's which one's story to tell? But what I think what comes to mind for me in particular is the Rose family. And you know, we met John and Colleen after John was severely injured in Iraq um, very early on. And again, it was the same <clears throat> same kind of path. So we met them at a medical treatment facility. And there was financial needs, and because of having to move and you know from one place to another without a whole lot of without a whole lot of notice or planning, um, and you get to know them and amazing spirit. Uh, unfortunately, during their time at the medical treatment facility, there was an accident that took place during a welcome home Vietnam veteran or welcome home veterans parade um, that re-injured. John and then injured his wife. And so then, of course, we're, you know, we were able to support them through that part of their journey, but they ended up staying there longer than they had anticipated. What I love about the story also is that it would have been easy for John to say, I, I'm out, I'm done. You know, I need to get out of the military, but he didn't. Uh, he recommitted, he was promoted and reassigned um, back to Eastern North Carolina. So the family then moved from Texas to Eastern North Carolina. That's a lot just in and of itself, those things. Um, and then, you know, sad news that the Colleen was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so how much more can a family take um, before they lose hope? But they didn't. And we were beside them throughout the whole process. And, you know, things come up that we were able to help support them through. John got a fellowship in, in Washington, D.C., so they moved again and have been a part of the Northern Virginia team up here. And she has done, you know, she's amazingly conquered cancer, uh, has had her first child. And, you know, they're a thriving, lovely family. And without hope, that wouldn't have happened. We don't know where they would be. And now they're... Um, John's transitioned out of the military. He's got a fantastic job where he is now helping other people. And again, serving his country in a very different way, but it did come full circle for them. And just, as you said, you know, from this tragic moment in, in a combat zone to where they are now is, it's unbelievable. But the, at the end of the day, they're still serving their country. She's a she works in the education system. She's working with kids. You know, it's just, it's a great story of, of tragedy and triumph and hope. Going off of that, we have granted a lot of warriors wishes as well. And this is also putting you on the spot a little bit, but is, is there one in particular that really stands out to you? There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I love our warrior wish program. It was one of our, uh, after we after we did the spouses care group and the spouses scholarships, that was our, our third program. There's a really special family in North Carolina that um, have, have always been part of my heart. Uh, and it's the Traub family. Carl was a master sergeant and was very severely wounded in Iraq and um, came home, gave both his legs in war and two boys and an amazing wife. And they were really the, the understanding for us about a lot of different challenges for families in particular, the, the fact that the resources they needed were sort of spread out all over the place. So aqua therapy was in, 
in one place. Uh, physical therapy was in one place. Occupational therapy was in one place. So for that family to be able to function and for him to be able to take advantage of the resources that he needed, mom had to drive around all over the place, which means so did the kids. And so it was very disruptive to school and, and continuity. Um, and so it really gave us sort of a, a platform from which to speak about making sure that the resources were in all in one place. One of the wishes that we granted was to put a pool in their backyard. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about having a pool. It was about aqua therapy at home. So those trips to Wilmington ended and he was able to do his therapy in his backyard, but he was also able to play with his kids on a level playing field. So when you get in a pool, it's okay to be a double amputee. You can still mess around with your kids and play and, and have fun together as a family. So it brought some normalcy back to that family unit. So that was probably my favorite wish ever. Obviously the biggest thing that we look ahead to in May is Memorial Day. And everyone always talks about the fireworks and the barbecues and the long weekend, but Memorial Day is so much more than that. What does it mean to you? You know, people kind of look at me funny when I say that one of my favorite places in the world is Arlington Cemetery. If you walk in there open to the experience itself and think about the individuals who are there, you get that same sense. Uh, it's, a, it's a peaceful, amazing place. And while many of those that are endeared there have suffered and, and had tragic ends, it was for a purpose. And it was for, a, you know, a country and for people and to have that be part of your story is pretty amazing. And so for families that are there visiting, you know, they're visiting heroes. And, and while that's, again, the loss of a hero or the loss of anyone is, a, is a very difficult, it was a life full of purpose. And so you can't ask for much more than that. So it's a really Memorial Day is a day that you can purposely and intentionally think about those things. What is the purpose in your own life? And what do you want that story to look like? And then remember and honor those who made an intentional choice of purpose. I think that is a great way to sum that up. And I think that's a great way to end this first conversation and the first Hope for the Warriors podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for our first episode of the Hope for the Warriors podcast. I hope you're inspired, just like I am, after talking with our co-founder and CEO, Robin Kelleher. I hope you learned about the history of Hope for the Warriors and why it's so important to stand with and support our military community. This is just the beginning. Every month, we'll be diving into the challenges our community faces and how you can help. So make sure you like and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. We are so excited to bring you more open and honest conversations with America's heroes. I'm Kate Dudley, a military spouse and your host. Until next time, keep in mind, a little kindness goes a long way. Hope. It's what our military community needs today.